You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. One of the challenges of um, Christmas services, regardless of whether it's a a Christmas Eve service uh, or like tomorrow, Christmas Day service, um, is figuring out ways in which to take the familiar story uh, and make it be unfamiliar, uh, to try to refresh in our minds something that is uh, moving. Um, and this year, obviously, is an exceptional challenge because I have to do this twice, back to back, in two days. Um, but as I was thinking about the Christmas story and thinking about how each one of the gospel writers um, uh, confronts it or addresses it, I guess, if you will, they, they all handle it very differently. And um, as I was reading through these um, different stories, the same story told uh, through different facets um, of the same diamond, um, the, the length of the story is the other part that we think about. You know, we, we talk about the, the Christmas story as um, Caesar and calling the census. And that happened a long time before Mary and Joseph actually got up and started walking to Bethlehem. And it's probable that they weren't walking uh, and arriving in Bethlehem the same day that Mary went into labor. They were probably there for a little while with the rest of Joseph's family because all of them had to go travel to the place at the same time. And then the moment when Jesus was born and the the uh, chaos that is childbirth. And then... Um, some time later, then the Magi show up, right? And all the, the length of the story and everything that it goes. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about the drawn out nature of it and thinking about how for the last four Sundays we've looked at Advent and the coming of Christ and the anticipation of that. And then also looking to the future of His second coming and the, the longing for that and realizing there's a length of time that takes place. I know for the Hornfisher family, the Christmas Eve service is a, a joy, but it also is kind of long because today is their Christmas day and today is the day where they get to open presents. And so there's always been this longing of, all right, come on, let's let's get moving on this kind of thing. Uh, and Christ's second coming feels kind of like that. And as I thought about the reality of that Longing and thinking about the Jews that lived at their time period and thinking about the longing that they were having for the Messiah as they were waiting and waiting and waiting. There was one line in this story of Jesus tied with the Magi uh, that stuck, uh, stuck out to me. Uh, and it's in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. It starts in verse 13. It says, Now when they, the Magi, had gone... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And so Joseph got up and he took the child and his mother while it was still night and they left for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And of course we know that the, what follows right after that 
uh, is the slaughter of the innocent. When Herod goes into Bethlehem and kills every child two years old and younger. And it's brutal when you think of it. And it's brutal in the sense of the dynamic of what's going on in their story um, that Herod could be so cruel into a place and Jesus escapes in the dead of night with his uh, mom and stepdad as they flee to Egypt. And what stood out to me of that is the dynamic of the fact that this was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was written before, and he says there that this happened so that it would fulfill what the prophet um, Malachi had said that, um, or sorry, Haggai had said that out of Egypt I called my son. This uh, foretelling long before that the Son of God would have to flee for his own safety but that he would specifically have to flee out of Egypt. I don't think it's a mistake that Matthew is the one that records this and points this back to the Old Testament because throughout the whole book of Matthew, Matthew points to Jesus as the better Moses. The book of the or the, uh, the gospel of Matthew is written in five sections. There's five teachings, and it follows like that: that there is a a story, and then a section of teaching, and a story, and a section of teaching, and it feels or it feels very much like uh, a writing of a rewriting of the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, as they're commonly referred to. And of course, we're very familiar with the story of Moses, that it was out of Egypt that Moses came. And not only was it out of Egypt that Moses came, it was out of Egypt that God used Moses to bring the people of Israel out and into His promised land. And as I began to think of those parallels and thinking of the reality of this, out of Egypt I called my son, it made me think about the story of Moses through the lens of Christmas. The Christmas story begins with great sorrow and great suffering because of the slaughter of the innocent. And the reality of Moses' life was much the same. You remember the story that Joseph went to Egypt and uh, that whole story of uh, Joseph with the coat of many colors and he becomes the leading official uh, and he becomes put in charge as a, a leading official of Egypt and he brings his brothers and all of their family and the Jewish people settle in the land of Egypt and then the scriptures say in, in uh, Exodus chapter 1 that there came a Pharaoh who did not remember Joseph and he began to oppress those Hebrew people and God blessed them and they grew and they multiplied in that land such that Pharaoh became afraid of them and he got so afraid of them that he passed a, uh, a statement, a declaration that he said to the midwives of uh, the, the, the slaves, that is what he had made them to be, and he said, when the Hebrew women give birth, I want you to look, and if it is a girl, you are to let it live. If it is a boy, you are to cast it into the, you are to kill it. And they disobeyed, they, they lied. And it's a God blessed them because they lied. It's kind of a weird juxtaposition that Scripture has on that point. And in the midst of all of that, in the challenge of that, in the trial of all of that, he finally says as an edict to all Egyptians, if when the Hebrews give birth, if it's a boy, throw it into the Nile. And so this happens. Think of the tragedy of that. 
The heartache of that. The, as God says when He has that burning bush experience with Moses, He says, I have heard the groaning of My people. I have heard the suffering of My people. And it is in that environment that Moses is birthed. And his mom hides him for two months. But it comes to the point where she can't hide him any longer. And so she makes a basket of reeds and she covers the bottom of it with asphalt, with pitch. And she puts him in there and she pushes him out and hides him in the reeds and just sends his sister to go watch and see what might happen. And of course we know the story that Pharaoh's daughter sees him and she snatches him out of the waters and she names him Moses because it uh, literally in, in uh, Hebrew it means to be snatched out. Uh, and in Egyptian it sounds like birthed. So he's birthed from this water experience and she be- he becomes her son. And he ultimately leads the people of Israel out of Egypt but not without great cost. A cost that ultimately is borne by the Egyptian people through Passover. It dawns on me of something interesting about Moses' life. Moses was lonely for his peers. Think about that. That of Moses' peers, there weren't very many his age that were men. They had all been killed. There's other Hebrew women, but not not of him. He was lonely in that. And his fate was actually the same fate as others. He was born into the same situation of being hidden, but he had to be put into the water the same as his others. Yet he was the one that came out, and he was the one that led his people out through that Passover experience. Now we know that he was not great uh, in a lot of other aspects, and he did fail in a lot of other ways. He was a man just like others. But he led through great challenge and great trial. And it's interesting as I think back on that Egyptian experience and I think back on the reality of all of that. God knew all of that was going to take place. He knew the suffering of His people. He knew that these things were going to happen. And He remembered them in the midst of it. God was sovereign even over the evils that were taking place there. And you think back to the story of Jesus and the reality of His story is much the same. And the part that's interesting to me about it, the part that wakens something fresh in me, which is really what I hope to give to you tonight, is that Jesus came into this world the same way that Moses did, that He had to come in the same way that the rest of us did. He was not... uh, different in His circumstances. Jesus was born in this world. The God of the universe came out crying like the rest. My family experienced uh, a new joy this week. Uh, I became a great uncle again. My niece Kaylin gave birth to a little girl here, what now, two, two days ago. Uh, and it was a struggle. She, her water broke and she uh, labored for a little over 24 hours uh, in the process of that. 
and again, thinking about that and praying for her through all of that and thinking about Christmas coming and thinking about the reality of Mary giving birth to Jesus, not in a sterile hospital environment, not in a birthing center, not in a hot tub, not on a nice bed, but in a stable. And Jesus, light of the world, coming into this world, birthed and feeling that cold blast of air that every baby experiences and taking that first gulp of air and wailing. And life would have a lot of groaning for him. And like Moses, he would have to experience the same coming in as we did. And yet, on the other side, it would produce something dramatic. The other interesting parallel to me is this picture of Moses is painted through the book of Matthew. Is that remember when God delivered the Israelites using the words of Moses, using him as the means by which to being brought that out, it would happen via Passover, the slaughter of the lamb. And that slaughter of the lamb without blemish that would put the blood over the doorposts, it would be consumed by those who would be covered over by that blood. That experience would be remembered by the Jewish people year after year after year after year. Remembering back of God's promise to save them. But it would take place under the yoke of oppression. The Hebrew rabbis said that under Babylonian captivity, the Jews would gather secretly and would celebrate Passover as they could. As the Persians were over them, the Jews would gather and celebrate Passover knowing that God had one time saved them and liberated them and, and, uh, and brought them out and He could do it again. The Jews gathered together and they... they uh, celebrated Passover as Rome occupied over them. Now the thing about Passover is you can't have Passover without one critical element. And what is that? You have to have blood. And that blood has to come from a lamb. And where were the lambs being tended to and cared for? That would be the lambs that would be offered in the temple for the purpose of celebrating Passover and purifying the temple. Those lambs were going to be tended to and cared for outside of a small little place called Bethlehem. And in that small little place were going to be these guys tending out in the field looking over these little lambs. And as Shell reminded me this morning, they were going to be the ones that when those lambs would be born, they needed to be without spot or blemish. That means genetically they had to be tended to, like they had to be good from the inside. But secondly, they had to be without blemish from the outside. Meaning, if you've ever worked with livestock or ever cut up a moose or whatever, you know that sometimes wounds happen. Sometimes they get hurt and that becomes a blemish. It becomes a scar. It becomes something else. And so the shepherds would take the lambs and they would bind them up in swaddling cloth. And they would protect those lambs 
so that they would be without spot or blemish. And it was to those shepherds tending those sheep for the purpose of pointing backwards to Moses and the Passover and forwards to God's promise to save. The angels declared, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Out of Egypt I have called my son. This is God knowing, notice this, that when God gives this promise, the evil of Herod has yet to take place. God knows about the evil of man. He knows what is coming, and yet in the midst of God and the, the evil of man, God makes a way for our redemption to take place. It's a pretty incredible thing to think about the fact that God loved you and me not when we got ourselves all put together. Not when we had it all figured out. Not when we became perfect. Not when we became good. But when we were still nothing but spots and blemishes. When we were nothing but uh, enemies of God. He loved us and did everything necessary to redeem us. And so, tonight as we celebrate uh, this Christmas Eve, as we think about this reality, let us remember the fact that God called His Son out of Egypt as a reminder that what transpired in Jesus the sacrificial lamb would be what would be taking place in our lives and in all the saints that He came to redeem. His blood poured out for us. His life given for us. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.